Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast brought to you by Twisted Tea and my bookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And no Cousin Shane on this episode. He's studying up for his next weekend update. I hope you all uh, enjoyed that. If you saw it on the YouTube channel, go check it out. Uh, something new we're trying and the reviews have been outstanding. Probably the highest, most positive reviewed thing we've ever done on YouTube. So we're just trying to come up with fun ways to uh, bring you guys some new content this football season. So another reason, if you ain't already, jump on the YouTube page and check out Cousin Shane. He's got a new little gimmick he's trying, and it was just it was funny as hell just putting that together. But uh, check that out. Also, new ep- appearance on the Paul Feinbaum show, so go check that out. But enough plugging our stuff. You're here for the content, and it is a Stephen Lassen Tuesday, the highlight of my week, getting to talk to Stephen here. So we'll get to him in just a minute. But before we get to that, a couple of news and notes around the SEC. Nick Saban has already gotten it out of the way. Jalen Milrow is going to be the starting quarterback for this crucial SEC opener with Ole Miss coming to town. And that was only after Lane Kiffin kind of kicked a hornet's nest here on Sunday. What was it? Sunday night. He <laughs> he allegedly said that uh, Kevin Steele is no longer the defensive coordinator at Alabama. It's Traverius Robinson, which has got a lot of South Carolina fans laughing that <laughs> they're they're not big on T Rob. But be that as it may, uh, here's Lane Kiffin denying you know that he was really trying to make much of, of this. And here's Nick Saban, kinda, sorta, saying it's untrue, not, but not really. He didn't outright. He just said, "Hey, Steels." Well, you'll hear it. So let's let's kick it to the other side. Lane, what did you see um, on film that led you to make the comment last night about Coach Robinson coaching their defense? Um, that was again. I was asked the question, "What was like going against Steels' defense?" So I wasn't really trying to start this big thing. Um, we saw things on TV copy just where it was different, you know, of first off of what the play looked like, the calls and stuff. And then so we looked into that further. And then, I mean, ain't no secret. We kind of people in these buildings know each other. So obviously got some information that way, too. So, you know, it just <laughs> is what it is, kind of like the quarterbacks. You know, you got to prepare for a different quarterback, prepare for a different play caller. So we got a game film of that. I'm not sure whatever transpired after Texas, but – um, we're gonna have our hands full, no matter what. You know, from a quarterback standpoint, this is all I'm gonna say about this. You know, Jalen really showed the leadership that I was looking for. You know, during the game, in terms of supporting his teammates and doing the things he needed to do. Um, he's had the opportunity to play, so as the other guys, Jalen played the best uh, of all those guys, and. Uh, so I think he's earned the opportunity to be the quarterback. Uh, on this other thing that I hear floating around out there, I'm sure you've seen the same reports that I've seen, is Kevin Steele is the defensive coordinator. Um, he has all the defensive coordinator responsibilities. Uh, the only thing that we tried to improve on from an administrative standpoint was game day administration of getting the signals in quicker. All right, so that that's the only thing that you know, we worked on together as a staff. The whole staff made a contribution to it, and I think it was a lot better in this game than it was in the Texas game. All right, so kind of sort of a, a denial there by Saban, but not really. He just said, you know, Steele's got that title still, but he didn't outright say Steele's calling the plays and 
So that that is just adding a little intrigue to this matchup. I think really um, it's interesting. If this is true, I don't know why Kiffin would put this out there. I think that's something you'd keep in your back pocket. But worst case scenario, he knew that was going to be something that uh, Nick Saban and company were going to have to be dealing with all week long was the headache of this getting out there. If it is true, even if it's not something they have to deal with. So Lane Kiffin playing chess, not checkers. Maybe it'll finally help him win a big game here in Oxford. Oh, one other thing, Alabama, the players only meeting. It's players only season. Uh, it didn't work for Tennessee. Let's see if it works for Alabama. But uh, if Alabama comes out and plays as uninspired as Tennessee did against Florida, we, we may have to be done with these player only meetings. Speaking of Tennessee and Florida, couple suspensions. The SEC announced here on Monday three Florida Gators and only one Vol, but it's for uh, you know some non-conference cupcakes here for, for the following game. Three Florida players: offensive lineman Damian George, offensive lineman Micah Mazuka, and tight end Dante Zanders, as well as Tennessee defensive lineman Omar Norman Lott, all suspended. For the upcoming week, Tennessee's playing UTSA. Florida's playing Charlotte. Let me double check at uh, if they're. I don't think they're out for the entire game. Any of those guys, just the first half. All of them. Uh, t- Omar Lott, Tennessee out for the first half, and all those Gators out for the first half against Charlotte. So not a, even a full game suspension, but that was from that damn brouhaha at the end of the game. Something to. Uh, I, I got to be honest with you, I didn't even see it because there's so many games going on. That game was decided. I muted that channel and moved on to another one. But last thing before we get to uh, Stephen last and Tuesday, great conversation with Stephen. But the SEC announced, and sorry, I confused someone last week, the kickoff times, not for this weekend, but the following weekend, September 30th, right, right now it's September 19th as you're hearing this, is uh, before week five. Kickoff times, television coverage has been announced by the SEC, starting with Florida at Kentucky, noon Eastern, 11 Central on ESPN or SEC Network. The The network will be decided this upcoming Saturday. Same deal with Texas A&M, Arkansas. It'll be on ESPN or SEC Network. That'll be decided on Saturday. But either way, the kickoff time is official, noon Eastern, 11 Central down there in Jerry World for Texas A&M and Arkansas. Please, God, let this be the last one in Jerry World. It's not doing anyone any favors anymore. The rest of these are official. CBS on SEC has got another Georgia game. Georgia at Auburn, 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central. Big matchup there. Kirby Smart, Hugh Freeze, their first go at it since uh, Freeze got fired at, at Ole Miss. I think it was Kirby's first year. Ole Miss actually... They actually whooped Georgia that year, if I recall. So this is their first meeting as Georgia and Auburn coach. Missouri at Vanderbilt, 4 Eastern, 3 Central on the SEC Network. Man, I'm just loving all these. It's all conference games here. And again, this is September 30th. LSU at Ole Miss, big matchup, 6 Eastern, 5 Central on ESPN. Oh, boy. That, man, depending on what happens this weekend, that's going to be huge. South Carolina at Tennessee, 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central on the SEC Network. Cousin Shane, he's already asked off. He, he wants to be at this game. Much anticipated in Vol Nation. And last but not least, Alabama at Mississippi State, 
9 Eastern, 8 Central on ESPN. Back-to-back ESPN nationally televised conference games. Love to see that. Cannot wait. But we got some great matchups this upcoming weekend to break down. Ton of conference games. Let's kick it over to our interview with Stephen Lassen. All right, it's a Stephen Lassen Tuesday. So you know what that means. Stephen Lassen, senior editor, Athlon Sports, back on the show. Stephen, what's up, brother? Hey, man, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. It was a uh, supposed to be a dud week in college football, but as always, it never disappoints, and I am fired up for this slate of games coming up this Saturday. It is going to be a wonderful and glorious week of college football, that is for sure. <laughs> well, you can't say dud without me thinking of Alabama, so let's just start right there, Stephen. What the hell are we doing here in Tuscaloosa? They just announced Jalen Milrow. Now he's a starting quarterback again after uh, not seeing the field against South Florida when they really needed him. Man, it's people. I can't believe I got this so right, Stephen, because I get so much so wrong. But the one thing I, I have nailed, it, it looks like the dynasty is, is I don't, we can't even call it a dynasty anymore at this point, but the, the wheels are essentially a loss away from the wheel, the, the wheels coming off, I feel like. Man, that that performance on Saturday was one of the more like shocking, puzzling performances that I've seen at Alabama in some time. Like I, I don't remember a regular season game. I mean, Alabama lost to Clemson in the national championship and it was pretty one sided. You know, there's been some of those moments, of course, over the last like, you know, five years or so. But to have a non-conference game where you're favored by like 20 something points or 30, wherever the line ended up. And an opponent in South Florida that was ranked in the 100s in most, like 133 rankings, with a roster that frankly wasn't very good last year, was really shocking. Um, so I, I it, this is going to be a really interesting week for Alabama just to kind of see where they are. I mean, this is a critical point of the season with the SEC opener coming up. It could kind of go one of two ways. You know, you've got Ole Miss coming in. It could be kind of a chance to reset the season. If they lose this game, all of a sudden, even more questions start to pop up. So Saturday's performance just raised a lot of alarm bells for me on multiple levels. Like, where does this team sort of hang its hat? Like, what is Alabama good at right now? Um, the offensive line hasn't lived up to the hype, so they can't run the ball as effectively as they thought. The quarterback situation is, you know, uh, now this is going to be Jalen Miro back in the starting lineup after Buckner and Simpson sort of underwhelmed on Saturday. Defense, I thought, you know, got after South Florida pretty well. But, you know, can they replicate that when they play Ole Miss and Texas A&M? Like, that's going to be the question uh, going forward. So, more questions uh, than out of Alabama than I think we've seen in some time. And just, frankly, just a really puzzling, head-scratching kind of performance. I mean, we just we haven't seen this out of uh, Alabama in really some time. Right. Well, we'll get all into that Ole Miss matchup. But it, uh, before we look ahead, Stephen, I'd, I'd like to look back here. Uh, we did something with Cousin Shane on the last episode that uh, I enjoyed. So I want to do the same thing with you and, and sp uh, focus specifically on the conference matchups because you don't really get a good evaluation of these teams oftentimes when they're playing McNeese or Austin P or who knows what directional school. But where we, good, we do get a good sense is in these league matchup games. So let's start with the game that we hyped up last week, Florida, Tennessee, Florida just dominated on the line of scrimmage in a big win for Billy. I, I would argue the biggest win of the Billy Napier era to date. Uh, did you learn more about Florida in this matchup, or did you learn 
take away more from Tennessee and their struggles. Uh, where would you lean on that? I would go Florida. Um, I, now, I think you can make a case like you learned a lot about both teams here. But for me, I wanted to see Florida week one to week three. Like, how would they respond? How would they rebound after such a poor performance against Utah? And I think the verdict was they, they rebounded pretty well. I just I think it was such a huge like proof of concept win for Billy Napier in the grand scheme of things. It's the best win that he's had at Florida. Like the, the Utah win last year was, was big. This is an sec game where their backs were kind of against the wall. I mean, you've got, you know, you you get kind of like, where is the, where is this program? What's the direction? Well, this kind of win sort of validates the process that Napier is trying to go through. It, It only, it only validates it if they finish the year by winning out, of course, like if they lose out, then all of a sudden all that momentum goes away. But the things that you wanted to see from a style standpoint, like defense under Austin Armstrong seems to be improved offensively, the style that Florida wants to play, run the ball, efficient passing game out of Graham Mertz. Mertz was solid on Saturday night. So all the things that you wanted to see cleaned up from week one to week three and sort of that proof of concept validation win, that was there on Saturday night for Florida. So that's why I learned more about Florida in that win. All right, so same question. Then Georgia uh, beats South Carolina. South Carolina kind of dominated the first half, but uh, Georgia completely dominated the second half to get a 10-point win at home over a a red-hot Spencer Rattler-led South Carolina. Did you learn more about Georgia or more about South Carolina? I'm going to go the opposite way this time. And I'll say this, like I'm not worried about Georgia at all. Like I, I think I sort of think Georgia's just sort of building at this point in the season, like they're setting the foundation, the pieces are starting to come into place. And like, we see some early struggles, but by November it's, it's going to be worked out. But I think what I learned about South Carolina was the same thing that I would say about Florida, like the week one to week three improvement under Shane Beamer. This team has improved every year from the, the start of the season to the end of the year. And so from week one to week three, I think you have to like where this program is going you know, throwing out true freshmen on the offensive line right into the fire, playing the, the nation's maybe the nation's best defense. And you get a, a, a great game uh, and a great game plan in, early on from Spencer Rattler. So I think that South Carolina team, if that one shows up that we saw on Saturday, shows up the rest of the way, you know, you start looking at their schedule like Mississippi State, Tennessee, Florida, Missouri, like there's a lot of toss-ups on this schedule. And even down the stretch, the last four games at home, including Kentucky and Clemson. So what I learned is I think South Carolina is going in the right direction. And if they get this version of Spencer Rattler that showed up on Saturday, a lot of these toss-up games become very winnable for South Carolina. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because I, I think it's further validation that Spencer Rattler is playing better at the quarterback position than any SEC quarterback. I know Jackson Dart's you know, Red Hot, Jaden Daniels, SEC Player of the Week, maybe some others you could pick from. But uh, just after three games, w- would you put Rattler as uh, maybe the most uh, proven quarterback in the SEC? I think so. I-, I think it's really close. Like Jackson Dart's been really, you know, I think off the radar nationally, but that game against Tulane with the way that Ole Miss was not able to run the ball and it was sort of on his shoulders after and, and just the whole offseason like intrigue for me with Ole Miss and the quarterback battle, like he's really taken a step forward. But, you know, you look at what Spencer Rattler has done so far this year, and I think the case for him would be 
he didn't have a chance against North Carolina. Like the North Carolina defense was just after him from the opening snap. He hung in there. He had a solid performance that night. He goes on the road, maybe against the nation's best defense, and gives them a chance to have a 14 to 3 lead at halftime, have a chance to win the game. And oh, by the way, his best receiver uh, got hurt early on in the game. So I think to me, like we wanted to see Spencer Rattler kind of pick up where he left off from last year. I don't know that he's necessarily putting up like the red hot, like six touchdown performances, but he looks like an improved quarterback uh, for me. So I think if you wanted to make the case for him at number one, I wouldn't disagree with you at all. I think based upon schedule and how he's played so far. All right. So the final SEC matchup from last weekend, LSU, big win on the road at Mississippi State. Did you learn more about LSU or did you learn more about Mississippi State coming out of this one? You might sense a theme here. LSU, uh, I learned more about because, you know, week one to week three. I, you know, if you watched college football on Saturday outside the SEC, Florida State struggled with Boston College, but they play Clemson this week. So there might have been a look ahead factor there. I think Florida State's really good. Like, I think Florida State, regardless of what happens this week against Clemson, they probably going to end up being a top 10 team at the end of the year. So LSU had a pretty poor second half against the nation's top 10 team. I wanted to see how they responded. I think they checked off all the boxes. Jaden Daniels was great. Malik Neighbors was great. Um, I guess the shoulder wasn't too big of a, a problem considering the way he played uh, after that injury. Uh, but, you know, we saw the the way that the defense played too, just you know, with the, the front just getting after Mississippi State's offensive line. Will Rogers had no time to throw it all. Like everything I wanted to see from LSU, they checked off those boxes. So I think dominance on the road in SEC play counts a lot for me in this scenario. So I learned a lot about LSU rebounding and continuing the theme of this team getting better under Brian Kelly as the season progresses for the second year in a row. Now, one game we really wanted to hit on, Stephen, and not a conference game. It used to be, but and in some ways it kind of felt like a little bit like one, just I guess with the history and everything, but uh, Missouri getting the biggest win of the Eli Drinkwitz era over Kansas State. Wild game, back and forth, took a 61-yard field goal, SEC record by Harrison Mevis to win that game. Uh, we, we owe Brady Cook an apology, I think, Stephen, because uh, – yeah, I know you know you you were not that harsh on him, but uh, I've questioned whether he's the man for the job. But he had one hell of a performance, and they don't win that that game without Brady Cook. Absolutely. So I, I'm glad you asked me about this because I do think we owe Brady Cook in Missouri maybe a little bit of an apology, and if it's not an apology, it's the tip of the of the cap because that game. For first of all, I think Missouri, the crowd, the home environment was awesome for a non conference game against a regional rival uh you know the atmosphere was awesome so i think credit to missouri's fans for showing up on saturday and making a difference but also i think in a clutch game like that where you needed like one or two plays was going to decide it like brady cook and the big passes to luther burden there were some other big plays in the passing game he ran for a touchdown like he outplayed will howard um, who i think coming into the game probably most people would have said was the better quarterback. He outplayed him. So I think credit to Brady Cook for kind of being doubted, showing up on Saturday and delivering a clutch win uh, for Missouri. And then in the in the big scheme, I think for Missouri, the thing here is we've talked like, can they get over the hump? 
that's a, that's the kind of win that can put them there because their schedule sets up now to where you could realistically be five and zero going into the LSU game, and with the East being as toss-upy, if that's a word, uh, as maybe we think it is. You know, if Brady Cook continues to play like he did on Saturday and take a step forward, like if you're Missouri, like all of a sudden, cousin Shane might be looking right at that uh, <laughs> that prediction this this preseason. And we have to mention too, Luther Burden. I mean, it credit to him for living up to the potential. And you know, he could have made the easy decision, Stephen. He could have went to Georgia. He could have went to I think Ohio State was the other one that was involved. I mean, it was. It was. It's the two big ones, you know, that, uh, that virtually all these receivers and five stars go to. Stayed home, year two. And again, I realized, you know, they weren't playing Georgia or anything. So, but they were playing a ranked number fifteen Kansas State. And I don't know about you, Stephen, but anytime Luther Burton touched the ball, he looked like worlds better than anybody on the field. Uh, I, I think he's certainly coming on to his own, and he's well on his way to being an All American. Absolutely. I think you said it best there. Like there are players that when you see them catch the ball or they're handed to it, that's handed to them on like a handoff, like you stop, like you're watching it. Like I've got like on Saturday, I've got a couple TVs and like anytime <laughs> I seen the ball going to Luther Burden, I had to stop what I was doing and watch. Like he's that kind of player that he's just on a different level than everybody else. Like he's one of those guys who can take a three yard run and turn it into a 60-yard touchdown because he's either able to shake away a defender, to be elusive, to get downfield, pass the defensive back, and catch a long touchdown. So uh, for me, he's one of the most, I think, exciting players in the country. And if you were looking for that year one to year two jump by a receiver, uh, he's clearly on that path to to being All-SEC and All-American this year. Well, Stephen, I've enjoyed our conversations talking, uh, you know, the the West stock and now even the the East I think like you said is up for grabby a little bit if if only if Georgia kind of disappoints so l- let's focus on the West for a second here but last week you know I don't want to call you out but you said hey, Alabama's still the team to beat and hell they have not even lost a conference game so maybe you're sticking with that but uh, where are we at now a- after seeing them struggle against South Florida seeing LSU dominate. Seeing Texas A&M, again, they don't have a conference loss. They don't have a conference win either. But Texas A&M offense looks legit. And Ole Miss, we got to throw Ole Miss in there as well. Where where do you currently see the SEC West race kind of racking up uh, in terms of the contenders? I think the beauty of this conversation is, like you said, like we're just getting started <laughs> in SEC play. And the beauty of this is we could have this conversation every week. And thankfully, I can change my opinion because that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, I am going to change and go with LSU. Now, maybe I'm being prisoner of the moment and reacting, overreacting to LSU's win over Mississippi State or Alabama's poor showing against South Florida. But I think if that LSU team shows up, Granted, Mississippi State secondary we know is a concern. If Jaden Daniels and that offense show up every week with a defensive front that's getting after teams like they are to sort of protect that secondary, I think this team is going to be hard to beat. You look at their schedule, they do have to go to Ole Miss. They get A&M at home. They have to go to Alabama. Alabama, to me, looks more vulnerable than they ever have been in the last couple years. Uh, So I, I think just... Having a difference maker, a quarterback, I know this deep defensive front is going to be 
pretty dominant week in and week out. I like LSU at the top right now. Mm-hmm. Who and so who's a, a next kind of next tier of contenders at least right now? I grouped the next three teams in a kind of a tier. I think the winner of Alabama Ole Miss is second right now. Um, if you ask me to predict, I would probably lean Alabama slightly on Saturday. Uh, but of course, it's early in the week and a lot could change between now and uh, an official prediction time. So I think pencil that team in second. And then I think after that, I got, I've got Texas A&M. Like, I don't have many questions about Texas A&M from an offensive like firepower standpoint. I think once they get Evan Stewart back and they get the receivers that are banged up, Connor Wigman, I think a lot of trust in him, the way that he's developed so far this season, they're going to score points. My question with this team is going to be, is the defense that showed up against Miami, the same defense that we're going to see in sec play. And also I think you're going to need a little bit of balance too on offense. I want to see that offensive line and running game uh, continue to to improve or kind of see where it is within the SEC. So I think A&M is within striking distance, but to me that Ole Miss and, and Alabama loom large for figuring out who might be the biggest contender to LSU. Well, Stephen, I can hear the War Eagle fans screaming into their podcast machine right now because we you didn't even mention Auburn. And uh, I'll, I'll just save everybody the narrative, sh- uh, Stephen. If Auburn goes into Texas A&M, and I, I realize they're an underdog, but if they beat A&M, the story is going to be Jimbo can't get it done, fire Jimbo. We'll just completely overlook Auburn, even though they'd be 4-0. What would it take for Auburn to enter that conversation for Stephen Lassen? At first of all, I think you you hit on something that's key, like the storyline of coaching for Saturday. Mm-hmm. If Auburn goes on the road and wins in College Station, and this is well, this is a series, it seems like the road team like typically does pretty well in. You know how alarming is that going to be for A and M? Because you're going to be talking about like, hey, Hugh Freeze just came in here. He brought in a transfer quarterback. He's reloaded at receiver and on defense. And they're already higher than us in the in the top 25. Like that would be alarming to me if I was Texas A&M. I've got Auburn in the, in the kind of their own tier right now because I kind of want to like they have you know three wins. They're, they're be- the, be- the best team that they played was, was Cal. And it was one of the uglier games that we've seen <laughs> this year. So I don't know how much we read into UMass and Samford. But I think if you're just looking at direction, like to me, Auburn's clearly – going in the right direction. But this Saturday, I think, will tell us a lot more about just where this team is. Now, how about the SEC East, Stephen? I assume everybody's still got Georgia as a team to beat, and deservedly so, especially after Tennessee looked so awful in the swamp last weekend. But uh, if, giant if here, but if Georgia continues to, you know, maybe not quite play up to their standard and – they got a lot of guys banged banged up. You know, what if Carson Beck is a fraud? He's he's not, but let's just say in, in these big time games. Who who is a team that you got your eye or teams that you got your eye on that is most likely to to shock the world and steal it from the Georgia Bulldogs out of the East? Would I be crazy to still be on the Tennessee bandwagon here? <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Florida. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I wouldn't blame you for at this point in time, but no, I mean, I, they, you know, that's the crazy thing, Stephen. They they still host Georgia, 
you know, whatever that's worth, I don't know. But, I mean, they, they clearly, they probably have to win out. And they got some incredibly tough games, Tennessee does. But, no, I mean, I think, logically, I, th- I think that's the team. Unless Kentucky turns it on, unless Mizzou picks up a ton of momentum. I, that's not crazy. I, I'm I'm about ready to sell all my stock in Tennessee, but the fact that you're you're still high on them gives me hope. As I always remind myself, some performances are never as bad and they're never as good as they look. And a lot can change week to week. Like it's it's amazing in college football how different some of these teams are from week to week. I mean, look look, Florida State's a great example. I mean, they they look like the number one team in the country by beating LSU, and then they look like they're the number like twenty team, and they just you know struggled <laughs> to beat uh, Boston College. So, I mean, who the heck knows? Uh, I think to answer your question, I think the the intrigue for me is like two through six in the SEC East feels very wide open right now, and I don't think there's going to be a ton of separation in the final standings. Like, I think you're going to get a lot of like five and three, four and four. Here, like I think it's going to be pretty tight overall. I think the optimism for me with Tennessee is like Joe Milton. I, I don't think is the problem for Tennessee. I think it's the offensive line. Um, I think you know you start looking at some of the other teams. Like we don't really know what to make of Kentucky yet. There's some reason to be optimistic. Missouri got the big win on Saturday. Florida's got to kind of prove it again after the win over Tennessee. So. You know, there's there's just so many unknowns for this team that maybe I'm just defaulting to. I thought Tennessee was the better team coming into this year. I think Heupel will get this offense on track, like some of the things we've seen defensively at times this year, except for Saturday night on on, on Tennessee. So maybe I'm just regressing to my uh, preseason prediction <laughs> here, but I'll go with the Volunteers still uh, second until proven otherwise. Oh, I know Cousin Shane certainly appreciates that uh, vote of confidence. So, all right, let's look ahead, Stephen, to the games upcoming this weekend. And and in my mind, uh, the game of the week is Ole Miss at Alabama, even though Alabama struggled. I I like to poke the bear there, so to speak. But it's SEC on CBS. This is a game that's going to teach us a lot about Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin seemingly can't win the big one. Uh, now that's that's oftentimes a narrative for a coach who just hasn't had that opportunity yet. So, uh, you know, he's he's got a lot on the line here, as does Alabama. Because again, if if they lose this game, I think the wheels fall off because they're they're going to face about three or four tougher games, I think, than Ole Miss at home this early in the season. But they cast off Pete Golding, get his ass out of here. Well, he's back. You know, you can't lose to this guy. Um, and again, I've I've made this point aside from Junkins. I don't think there's a player on Ole Miss roster that Alabama would take over one of their own. Even, you know, I'm sure they had opportunity to recruit Jackson Dart. They decided not to. So thoughts on this one, Stephen, Ole Miss at Alabama and uh, just all the intrigue going into this matchup. Oh, man, there is a ton of intrigue here for me. I think the, you know, think about this matchup and in three years, like how our mindset has changed here. Like you just assume like Alabama at home playing Ole Miss, probably what, you know, two, three touchdown favorite. And we're sitting here going, it's only a touchdown now. Like Ole Miss has looked better this year at times than Alabama has. Now I know the schedule, you know, Alabama had Texas, but 
there's way more intrigue and doubt for me about who wins on Saturday in a game like this than we've seen uh, because of Alabama's struggles this year. Also, there's the whole like Lane Kiffin, Pete Golding uh, storyline. Like Lane Kiffin wants them all. I know he really wanted that A&M game last year. I bet he really, really, really wants this one on uh, on Saturday. And of course, like you mentioned, um, Pete Golding. I, I think the question for me in this matchup is going to be like, if you're Alabama, like, can you lean on something here? Like, can you challenge Ole Miss in the trenches? Like, you got to get the running game going. Milrow's going to be in a quarterback. I suspect that we'll see a lot more quarterback runs this week from him. You know, and on on the Ole Miss sideline, to me, the narrative is going to be Alabama's going to be able to probably contain the running game because of the way they've stopped the run this year and the way that they were getting after South Florida last week. So it's going to be on Jackson Dart. And I think he's proven this year he is capable of making the throws to win the game. So for me, I want to see Jackson Dart in a high-pressure environment, potentially getting back some guys who've been out to at receiver and tight end, which I think is important. And in, in this environment, Jackson Dart stepping up, or does Alabama sort of hold serve and remind us that, hey, yeah, we're not we're not there yet, but we still got a lot of talent in the program. I think there's a lot of interesting storylines uh, going into this game. Do you have any thoughts at all, Stephen, on, uh, I'm sure you saw this, but uh, Kiffin basically said, well, you know, we found out Kevin Steele ain't even a defensive play caller anymore, and he's putting it on T-Rob and all this, and, you know, it's interesting, because I don't even know why you'd let that out if that was true, although I don't know, you know, if that's a huge advantage, but, because it is what it is. I've got some theories. Yeah, Uh, or, or is this Kiffin just saying, hey. I'm going to make Nick Saban have to deal with this headache all week long leading up to this matchup. I think it's that. <laughs> I think he's just, you know, I mean, I mean this in like a nice way. Like Lane Kiffin likes to troll yep. and he's just trolling Nick Saban. I also <laughs> think there could be something this too. Let me throw something against the wall. Let the media go chase it down. Let him ask Nick Saban about it. So in a way you're sort of using the media to gain intel on something that you might be think is going, you might think is going on mm-hmm. uh, behind the scenes. So uh, Lane Kiffin, very clever, trying to get some information out of Nick Saban. That's what I, that's my theory, right? And obviously, uh, you know, something that shouldn't be overlooked. Stephen Sarkeesian and Kiffin are very close, so you have to imagine that Kiffin has just been burning Sark's phone up, just saying. You know, what'd you see? What'd you attack? And not, you know, that's not apples to apples because they different rosters and everything. But you have to imagine those conversations took place. And that's that could help Ole Miss as well. Absolutely. I mean, I guess maybe we should look at this in the bigger context, too. Like former assistants fared pretty well against Nick Saban recently. You know, you think Jimbo winning uh, in College Station, almost winning last year. Kirby Smart in the national championship game, Sarkeesian winning this year, uh, Kiffin coming right on the doorstep of, of uh, you know, trying to knock off Alabama last year. So maybe this is uh, this is Lane's uh, time here. But I, I think your your broader point, though, I think Sark, the, the game plan that Sark used to attack Alabama, I think is really what Kiffin and Ole Miss are going to have to do, because I don't think it's any secret like. Alabama's front, despite some of the questions on the back end, they're going to make life very difficult for Quinshot Judkins. And with the concerns that Ole Miss has had along the offensive line so far, 
it is on Jackson Dart. So I, I think this game is really, I mean, not to simplify it too much, but you know, I think Milrow's going to have to play with a ton of like more like mistake-free style. He's going to have to make some plays with his legs. And I think Jackson Dart, you know, those making those downfield throws that we saw Quinn Ewers hit, some of those are going to have to hit on Saturday for Ole Miss to win this game. Do you think that is on offensive coordinator Tommy Reese or is that on Jalen Milrow to make adjustments? Because I would, I would contend that the, I don't think they used Milrow uh, in the best way. And I think a coach's job is to utilize his player's skill set. I mean, it's it just feels like they were trying to make him Tom Brady, and clearly he's he's not that caliber of course. He's just a different style of player, and and he's got the deep ball, he's got the running. Um, I I think they need to utilize him in that way, and so I guess I just answered my own question. I think it's all Tommy Reese. Who who do you uh, put that blame on? It's definitely Tommy Reese. I I think you have to use Jalen Milrow differently than you did against Texas. Like I, I think. He's clearly, and I'm referring to Milrow, he's clearly improved if you watch him from 2022 to 2023. Just overall, from a passer standpoint, he looks way more comfortable out there. But you can't expect him to be a pocket passer. Like, he's just not that type of quarterback. Like, he's better moving around, whether it's design runs, getting to the edge, hitting the deep passes. Like, the midfield stuff isn't there yet. But to me, that's on Tommy Reese. Like, You've got to design some ways to use Milrose legs on Saturday. And frankly, like the whole point, uh, the whole problem right now with Alabama is the offensive line. Like th- they had the players only meeting, supposedly. Maybe we'll see if, if that results in anything, uh, any changes this Saturday. I know Booker was out against South Florida, but it all starts for me there. Like Tommy Reese has to have a better game plan. And if you're Alabama, you've got to get the offensive line playing to its potential uh, to, to, to win on Saturday, which is weird to say because. Ole Miss being a seven-point underdog is some different territory for us based upon the last couple years. Right. Well, we got another West showdown, Stephen, that uh, a lot of fans are going to be intrigued about. I know I will be. Auburn at Texas A&M. I believe it's an early kickoff here, SEC Nation. So, you know, that adds a little something to it. But uh, this is an opportunity for Texas A&M to bounce back. After that uh, loss a couple weeks ago, get the SEC uh, the rolling, the SEC part of their schedule rolling. Whereas Auburn, you know, expectations are the, the fans are high, but I mean, outside of the fan base, expectations are Auburn will go down here and, and lose on the road in a tough environment. But I guess I say that to say I think Hugh Freeze has got everything to gain, nothing to lose in this situ- uh, situation, which makes Auburn very dangerous. Agree with you. I think it's sort of the the narrative for me in storyline is A&M with the loss to Miami early in the season. It's the same thing as Florida. You've got a chance to reset your season. You, you haven't lost a game in SEC play. So if you win this one, all of a sudden, you know, things look a lot better because then you get Arkansas, who's struggling right now. You get Alabama uh, coming to your place and then you go to Tennessee before the midpoint of the season. So I think if you're A&M, you got to forget about what happened at Miami and turn your focus back to, to the SEC West because it is winnable. Um, because with the way that Alabama looks and we talked about LSU, like A&M is right there. So I, I think it's about refocusing for me for A&M. I think for Auburn, you are playing with house money. Like they've been off the radar kind of to start the season. Mentioned the game against Cal earlier this year where it was just an ugly offensive game, but 
I mean, who like they could go down to to College Station, win, and be four and zero, be ranked, and we're talking about how much progress um, this program has made under Hugh Freeze in his first year. I love the matchup of A and M's receivers against Auburn secondary. Like Auburn secondary, seventeenth in the country in defensive pass success rate, one of the better groups coming into the year, lived up to the hype so far. And on the other side of the ball too, I think. It's sort of weakness versus weakness in a sense. Like we don't know, I think, how, what to make of Auburn's offense um, because of the level of competition. And A and M has that defensive performance against Miami that was just so uh, sluggish, like being able to stop the pass. So I, I think we're going to learn a lot about both of these teams on Saturday, and it's sort of a chance for one of these two to sort of rewrite uh, or write a new chapter in the way their season is going. Well, something you hit on there, Stephen. You know, I always say the players, in my mind, matter a lot more than the coaches, and I, I b- believe that firmly. But what's your thoughts on DJ Durkin versus Philip Montgomery? Because uh, one more Miami type performance, <laughs> that may be Durkin's last appearance at A and M. I mean, he he's got a lot to prove in this game. I think. Oh no, no question about it. I mean, just just on the most like basic level here, A and M's got way too much talent to be having performances like they did at Miami and and Miami's got a lot of good players, you know, Tyler Van Dyke and the receiving core that they are much improved offensively than they were last season, but there was no reason for my, for Texas A&M's defense to get embarrassed like it did um, in in a few weeks ago. And and I think very broadly, if you come into this game and you're Texas A&M's defense and you're looking at Auburn going, they've got all these new pieces we don't know how good their offensive line or their quarterback situation is. If they come in here and put up 38, 40 points in a victory, and if you're A&M, you start to get a little bit worried, If you're, especially if you're DJ Durkin. And, and you know, looking ahead, you, it only gets tougher. I mean, you got to play KJ Jefferson. We'll see about Alabama. you got to play Tennessee's high-powered offense. So n- no question about it. I think Philip Montgomery and Hugh Freeze here Using Peyton Thorne, using Robbie Ashford, ought to see some opportunities. Now, if you're A&M, the counter would be, hey, our defensive line, the, the dudes take over here. Like the, the dudes up front for Texas A&M just take over, and they probably push around Auburn's uh, offensive line, which comes in, came into the season with some questions. And I think we still don't know how good this group is through three games. Well, and you may have mentioned it. If, if you did, I apologize. I, I maybe just didn't hear it, but... When we were talking best quarterbacks in the SEC, I'm not ready to put Connor Wigman there yet, but he looks like he's getting close. So they got that in their back pocket as well. And and if this is, God forbid, a shootout, which (laughs) it it shouldn't be for Durkin's sake, but if it is, I've got a lot more confidence in A&M's quarterback and his weapons than Auburn in their weapons right now. Uh, Are you right there with me? Agree with you. Yeah, if yeah. it's a high-scoring game, give me Connor Wigman, uh, give me Evan Stewart, Anaya Smith, and the weapons for Texas A&M. And, and I think it's by all counts, it sounds like A&M is going to be at full strength at receiver for this one. So I think if you're DJ Dirk and you're you're not hoping for a high-scoring game, but if it does, you you got a, a ton more confidence in in your guy at quarterback and Connor Wigman than Auburn right now. Let's take a little break from the show to let you know we're presented by MyBookie. Head on over to MyBookie.ag today. And don't forget to use that promo code, THATSEC, that's T-H-A-T-S-E-C, over at MyBookie. And they're willing to give you an instant 
50% initial deposit bonus up up to a thousand bucks today. You sign up for a new account at mybookie.ag today. This is the number one way to help this podcast stay independent. Please, please help support the podcast. Take advantage of this offer. And you can just throw 50 bucks in there, 100 bucks, whatever you got. Head on over to mybookie.ag today. Sign up, new account using promo code that SEC. There's a link in the show notes. Click that link, sign up, use that promo code that SEC. We would really, really appreciate it. And just fade our picks, and <laughs> you'll be looking pretty every each and every Saturday. We're also brought to you by Game Time Sidekicks. We love our Game Time Sidekicks. Head on over to GameTimeSidekicks.com. Put in that promo code SEC for 20% off your entire order. This officially licensed NCAA stainless steel where you'll love it. Cups, sippy cups, tumblers. Dog bowls, they got it all over at Game Time Sidekicks. Every college program represented, and of course, each and every member of the SEC. So head on over to Game Time Sidekicks, promo code SEC for 20% off your entire order. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before it's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch five percent alcohol and no carbonation delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion no need to settle for the usual twisted tea turns up any occasion especially when you're cheering on your favorite sec team twisted tea the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football keep it twisted podcast is also brought to you by Game Time. Head on over to GameTime.co and use promo code THATSEC for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Game Time is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code THATSEC for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem THATSEC for 20 bucks off. Download the Game Time app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Now, another West showdown, Stephen, Arkansas at LSU battle for the golden boot here. Love these rivalry. It's so weird. It should, should never play this game in September if there's a trophy involved here. But uh, Arkansas coming off a very rough performance. I mean, they probably sh- they should have won that game, but miscues, mistakes, 14 penalties. And then LSU red hot. I mean, this has got all the makings of a blowout, but... I don't know, Stephen. I, th- I think this is a man-up style game for Arkansas. I, th- I think we get the best Arkansas we've seen, and uh, I-, I think this is going to be a lot closer than the spread indicates. What- what's your early read on it? It feels wrong that these two teams are playing in September, right? <laughs> I mean, like we're just used to seeing them play like around Thanksgiving with the season, uh, you know, kind of winding down. Uh, but it'll be. I think the timing of this game is a little unusual. But at the same time, like I think it's it, like you said, it, 
Arkansas backs against the wall. You start looking at the schedule, LSU, A&M, Ole Miss, Alabama coming up. I mean, this is a brutal stretch of games for Arkansas. Uh, Saturday night was really just a ton of miscues. When you outgain a team 424 to 281, you should probably win that game if you're Arkansas. <laughs> so there were just a ton of mistakes um, across the board. The offensive line continues to be an issue. If, if you want to kind of put the offensive line um, struggles into context, they had six runs against BYU that accounted for 128 yards. The other 33 attempts, 49 yards. So there's you like the big plays, but you want to see more consistency in your ground game. So I think that's kind of where it starts for me. If Arkansas is going to have a chance on Saturday night, it's got to be improved offensive line. You're going to have to give KJ Jefferson time to throw. LSU is red hot. I still think that the fact that this is a rivalry game and the fact that Arkansas probably ought to be embarrassed about the way that game turned out. I think we're going to get a very focused Arkansas team on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, Sam Pittman, he he needs this one, I think, badly to, to kind of, not that he's lost all sport or anything, but just kind of calm any of that. Uh, man, it's, it's just a tough spot to be in, whereas LSU, I think, you know, we're, we're throwing them up now as a, as a, well, hell, I already did, so, but as an SEC West contender, they've got to prove that, uh, I don't want to say fluke, because there's, there's no, you don't win on this, in this league on the road like they did last week and call it a fluke, that's, that's the wrong word, but consistency. That That is something that was lacking last season. We need to see that this season if LSU is going to be a, a legitimate contender for the SEC, I, I think even the playoff, but we've got to see it in games like this. Otherwise, the doubters, they're, they're going to have a lot of ammo if uh, if Arkansas wins or even I think if Arkansas keeps this game close. You know, I, I think Arkansas is going to be, I think, focused on Saturday night. And I think backs against the wall, I think a little bit of desperation, they're hungry. You know, they're probably going to come in and and especially with it being a rivalry game, they're probably going to give LSU their best shot. But also I think what you said there is, is kind of what's intriguing to me about LSU here. They get Ole Miss and Missouri on the road after this game. So that consistency if they take care of business on Saturday night where they're almost a, they're over a two touchdown favorite and they go on the road and handle Ole Miss and Missouri, all of a sudden sort of the narrative on LSU changes a lot. Like that Saturday's performance against Mississippi State was really impressive, but you got to have that week to week consistency in order to start climbing back up the ranking. So they're going to get Arkansas like LSU is going to get Arkansas's best shot. If they come out and play like they did against Mississippi State and they take care of business, I think all of a sudden, like sort of that national narrative is going to start to change. And we're going to be talking about, hey, LSU's creeping back closer to the top 10. And then we'll see what happens in Tuscaloosa. And that might tell us a lot about where the SEC West uh, stands after uh, after the Saturday. Yeah. And I mean, we still got a long way to go, but this could be the best showdown of uh I, I know it's always kind of silly when we say like showdown of quarterbacks because they're not playing against each other. They're playing against the defenses, obviously. But uh, KJ and Jaden Daniels going head-to-head, I mean, that that to me is must-see television right there. Oh, no question about it. I mean, you know, you, you posed the question earlier, like, who is the best quarterback in the SEC? And I'm going through the list of quarterbacks, and I'm thinking, yeah, I would probably vote Spencer Rattler. 
But I could also make a case for Jackson Dart. Jaden Daniels has been good. Connor Wigman. Um, but let's not forget about KJ Jefferson. Like, you know, he, despite all of Arkansas's problems this season, like, you know, maybe that you could critique a few things about how he's played here or there, but new receiving core, new offensive coordinator, offensive line that struggled, like he hasn't been the problem for Arkansas. So I just, I think in a game like this, it, Jefferson has to deliver. And I think anytime I think about like Jefferson needs to deliver in the clutch, like I think that that's one of the reasons that gives me some optimism that this game will be closer maybe then the spread is just KJ Jefferson is capable of keeping Arkansas in this game and they're going to need him to, to have a chance to win on Saturday. All right. How about uh, this matchup, Steven Mississippi state on the road at South Carolina. <laughs> I mean, I hate to keep saying the same thing, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll echo your sentiments here with some of these others, but just looking at the schedule, this is essentially a must win for both of these teams, if they want to ha- overachieve, I mean, if you if you drop this game for either one, you're you're not exceeding. You may meet expectation, but you're not e- exceeding. Zach Arnett, it's funny, Stephen. I mean, he's he just lost his first game as an SEC coach. Fans want his ass fired already. I mean, we're crazy down <laughs> here. Uh, South Carolina losing record, but that's more of a factor of who they've played than anything. This is not a losing football team. Uh, but a lot on the line. They cannot afford to lose this matchup. What's your initial thoughts on Mississippi State at South Carolina? I think a hint of desperation, to to your point. Like, knowing the way that the schedule sets up for both teams, Shane Beamer and Zach Arnett probably aren't looking at it like we are. Like, they're not penciling W's and L's in the preseason. (laughs) Like, coaching staffs think they can win them all. So, But I think from, from my perspective, when I start looking at end of season like projections, if you're South Carolina and you're Mississippi State, if you want to go to a bowl game, like these are the toss ups you have to have. Mississippi State gets Alabama after this, South Carolina goes to Tennessee. So, you know, I think in some respects here, like the winner of this game, not only is that desperation trying to get on track, like you have a chance to sort of reset the season a little bit, a little bit harder for Mississippi State. But if you're South Carolina, you know, Tennessee looked pretty vulnerable uh, last week against Florida. So I I think there's there's a sense of like early season desperation must win for both teams. But also it's a really good quarterback duel, too. Um, I think if I'm Will Rogers, like I'm motivated to to show last week was just another blip on the radar. Get back on track. If you're Spencer Rattler, I mean, he's red hot right now. And you're just looking at what Jaden Daniels did to Mississippi State secondary. Like, let Spencer Rattler throw it 45 times on Saturday night because uh, that's probably their, or Saturday, that's probably their best path to a victory. Well, let me try to spin it in a positive light because I don't think there's much positivity in, in Starkville right now, Stephen. But I think you can make the case Mississippi State's not going to play a, a better team than LSU. Uh, so, I mean, maybe they just face their toughest competition. And South Carolina's coming off that Georgia game. That's, that's a physical toll for anybody. Maybe they're a little beaten up, a little battered. Um, is that – I mean, it, it's there's there's so much different than LSU. So, I mean, yes, to your point, Spencer Rattler can make you pay through the air, but I don't think South Carolina's defense can can stop the run near as well as LSU. Uh, if Mississippi State can get that going, can they make us, uh, you know, a, a really competitive ball game? Do you think? 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would be really surprised if this game ends up like uh, Mississippi State LSU. Uh, I would be really surprised if it's one-sided. I think this will be a lot closer just in terms of where these teams are in terms of team strength, um, strength and weaknesses. Like, I think you can pass the ball. Like, too, if you're Mississippi State, if you can protect Will Rogers, there's going to be some plays uh, to be made on South Carolina's defense. So I, I think the kind of interesting angle for me in all this is Mississippi State. When you look at their two deep, like 18 of the 22 starters, I think, are seniors. And like we talk about desperation and you look at kind of the, the transition and from, um, from Zach Arnett and some of the offensive things here, like there's a lot of experience on this roster. So I think even though the the loss last week in the fashion that it was, yeah, it was bad. LSU is going to be one of the better teams they they've played, but there's a lot of seniors on this roster. So I think for the optimism for me is that experience shines here for Mississippi state and they're capable of getting back on track They've had to navigate some scheme changes early on. Plenty of season to go. And if you're going to get back on track, it starts this Saturday. And and one final thought I have on this one, Stephen. Again, South Carolina's got a losing record. But the way they played on the road in Athens, if I'm a Gamecock, I'm sitting here saying, again, same deal. We're, we're not going to face a better team than that, uh, a more hostile well, I mean, they may, uh, Tennessee, just because Tennessee hates them so bad. But uh, Tennessee is is not the caliber of Georgia at this point in time. If you could play as well as that against Georgia, I'm not sitting here saying they're just going to win out. But, hell, I mean, they could they could play with anybody on the, on the, the rest of the schedule, don't you think? A- absolutely. Uh, to, to use a word... Maybe we invented it earlier. I don't know. Tossipy? Uh, that's such a word. Uh, we're, we're inventing words here uh, on that SEC podcast. But no, I mean, I, I look at their schedule and see, you know, they played Georgia and North Carolina, both ranked in the top 25. I think Georgia's the best team in college football in a year where it's probably a little bit more uh, wide open maybe than we thought. They have to play Texas A&M, Missouri, Tennessee. I mean, you wouldn't pencil any of those in as guaranteed losses. And they get the last four opponents at home, including Clemson and Kentucky. So, I mean, to me, I don't think they'll win out. But if that same type of effort is there that we saw on Saturday and Spencer Rattler keeps playing at the level that he is and South Carolina gets a little healthier in spots, they get they find the right mix on the offensive line and they continue to develop. I mean, I think this team can maybe get, you know, I think in the preseason it was six and six, seven and five. Like, I think they can easily get there. Maybe you start dreaming, hey, maybe eight and four is suddenly within uh, within reach, too. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, final SEC matchup, Stephen, on the weekend Kentucky at Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt, man, let one slip away that they really couldn't afford. Uh, maybe they'll be in desperation mode, but at the same time, you beat Kentucky last year. There's going to be revenge on their mind. I would imagine this stadium's going to be quite blue because the, the drive from Lexington is pretty easy. And, of course, they took your best player, Ray Davis, who looks like he may be Kentucky's best player now. So uh, thoughts on this matchup? I think the first thing is to use to go back to a term that we used a few minutes ago, and that's desperation. And I think mm-hmm. if I'm Vanderbilt, you start looking at the schedule, and, and I know coaches are different than us. But you have to be looking at the schedule going, if we're going to get to a bowl game, we got to get this one. Like the the schedule is just really challenging. It's a it's a game that Vanderbilt won last year. You get Kentucky at your place. 
not too many guaranteed W's on the schedule the rest of the way. So I, I think for Vanderbilt, a little bit of desperation. Maybe it's not the coaching staff wouldn't publicly admit it, but I think if you gave them some truth serum, they probably would admit admit that behind the scenes. Yeah. I think for Kentucky, revenge. Like you lost last year to Vanderbilt, a chance to rebound. And and also in in the big picture for Kentucky, this is our first chance to really get a good glimpse of Kentucky because they've played Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, and they've played Akron. There's a lot that you like about Kentucky so far, the defense, like the way Ray Davis is playing, how good is the offensive line, sort of feel like Devin Leary is getting more comfortable with each snap there at Kentucky. So I think there's reasons to like what Kentucky is doing, but we don't know how far along they are until they play an SEC opponent. And that's what interests me on Saturday is I just want to see where Kentucky is and maybe all of the early season struggles and and iffy performances are just this team cycling and getting ready for SEC play, or maybe there are some bigger concerns here than, than we thought coming into the year. Yeah. And, and playing so many cupcakes, Steven, that's not necessarily going to prepare you for what's to come. Now, Vanderbilt, maybe they can't challenge you, but and it's, it's kind of silly to compare these two, but like Tennessee going on the road to Florida last week, Again, that's not, not quite the same as playing at Vanderbilt Stadium or anything, but uh, you know that exposed Tennessee, and with all the miscues and, and I mean Kentucky, they feel like they're right there. There's just there's a penalty here, there's a drop here, there's a bad snap here, and it kind of shutters an entire drive. And, and they're still winning; they're winning big too. Uh, does that does that give you confidence in, in Kentucky can realize that potential, or are you a little nervous that we're quarter into the season over a quarter into the season we're we're still wondering what K- Kentucky is probably a little bit of both like i know that's a bad answer but you know when i've watched kentucky's first 3 games you know i see a lot of reason for optimism and i and i go back to watching devin leary at nc state when he was healthy and just to to see how 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 effective he was at nc state and how how good he was you know kentucky in a in a east race where it is wide open after Georgia and we're trying to figure out like who could be that team. Like I, we, we talked about how much we like Spencer Rattler and, and Brady cook. Devin Leary could get hot too. I mean, those, the Kentucky receiving core, the, the trio of receivers is, you know, it, it's up there in terms of just national sec ranking offensive line for me, I think is still the biggest concern. I, I think you have to like what you're getting out of Ray Davis. The, the big, uh, plays out of the offense, they've been there. I think you'd like to see maybe a little bit more down to down consistency. And I and I rarely worry about a Stoops uh, led defense there at, at Kentucky. So, I you know I think a bit of a mixed bag so far. But maybe the best way to look at this is it's the same thing with Georgia. Like each week, you're sort of kind of you're you're moving up the stairs and into SEC play, and you get a chance against Vanderbilt, the worst team in the SEC, to take a step forward. Then you get Florida. Like your challenges are increasing, and maybe Kentucky's just ramping the intensity and the focus level that they need to win an SEC play. So this will tell us a lot, though, about where this team is. Mm-hmm. And then we got a couple interesting non-conference matchups. Stephen Memphis at Missouri showdown of undefeateds here. Missouri riding high in St. Louis, but uh, this this Memphis team they they got to be careful. Can't overlook them, can they? Absolutely. So I think the first thing is we just talked about how 
uh, you know, we need to give Brady Cook and Missouri some credit. Like all that could go out the window if they lose on Saturday uh, in St. Louis to, to Memphis. Yeah, Memphis is only a touchdown underdog here. It, like this is a dangerous spot for a Missouri team coming off the emotional uh, high victory over K-State on Saturday. So I definitely think there is some caution if you're uh, Missouri. If you're looking kind of for a scouting report on Memphis, I think the player to know here is Seth Hennigan the quarterback from Memphis. He's one of the best in the American Athletic Conference. They brought in Blake Watson, a transfer at running back from Old Dominion this offseason. He's been getting better as the season goes on. So I think if you're if you're Missouri, like the quarterback and the skill talent for Memphis worry you. Defensively, they've been good so far this year, but they've played Bethune-Cookman, Arkansas State, and they've played Navy. So we don't really know how good this defense um, is in the season, in the preseason, probably considered, you know, in the upper half of the American Athletic Conference. It's not a great conference for defenses, though, so it's really hard to to, to just know where they rank uh, nationally kind of c- compared to who Missouri has played so far this year. Yeah. Uh, and how about this one, Stephen? UTSA at Tennessee. I, I know UTSA just lost to Army, but... I believe their star quarterback, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he played in that matchup. And, and this is one a lot of people had circled as a you know, potential spoiler in the preseason. And I don't know, Stephen. I mean, again, we, we were kind of talking up Tennessee earlier, but if the, if the same miscues happen, you know, at some point we got to say, maybe this team's not that good. This should be a, a tune-up game going into SEC play, but I'm not convinced that it will. Uh, thoughts on this matchup? I want to see angry, motivated, locked-in Tennessee on Saturday. Um, After what happened in Florida, Tennessee should come out with a little bit of urgency and also with a little bit of aggression, like to to kind of put put their foot down and say, you know, that was last week. That's not the team we are. We're going to get back on track, especially with South Carolina um, coming up in in two weeks. So uh, on a – on a UTSA scouting report, you're absolutely right. Like Frank Harris is their starting quarterback. He did not play against Army. They also have some other major injuries on the offensive line and at linebacker. So you're not getting UTSA at full strength. They do have some players that could give Tennessee some trouble. The, the backup quarterback is Eddie Lee Marburger, and he had a good game against Army. He threw for 239 yards and three touchdowns. He's on the all-name team, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he's capable of uh, uh, of hurting teams downfield. They've got some good talent at receiver and running back, but how does their offensive line hold up with, with some injuries? How does their defense hold up being banged up too? Army was able to throw the ball downfield on them and when you know army is hitting some passes downfield (laughs) there ought to be some opportunities here for tennessee so i think maybe if you're a tennessee fan the best way to look at this is it's not the utsa team that i think some people thought could give them trouble in the preseason and if it's close on saturday that would be a little worrisome for me if i'm tennessee so uh, rate it from a scale one to ten steven one no concern at all ten being highly concerned uh, what's the one out of 10 rating that this is a four quarter game UTSA at Tennessee? Probably like a five. Or, mm. I, I think, I think UTSA still has enough in the program mm-hmm. to make this a close game. I think it, it may be one of those situations where Tennessee sort of is always ahead, but maybe they just put it away in the fourth quarter this that rating changes if frank harris for utsa plays 
that that rating would go up because he is, if he's healthy, the type of quarterback that can give um, Tennessee's defense a lot of trouble moving around in the pocket with some of the runs that he can do and also the ability to hit uh, downfield too. Mm-hmm. All right, how about uh, UAB at Georgia, Stephen? Uh, the fight in Trent Dilfer's, I believe. How Can you give us a scouting report on them? Yeah, that's right. It is Trent Dilfer. Uh, the Trent Dilfer-led UAB Blazers started off the season with a great win, uh, ever since then, it's been all downhill. They got blown out uh, last <laughs> week. So uh, things are not trending in the right direction uh, for UAB. If, if you're looking like this, the strength of this team the last couple of years has been running the ball in defense. But that was under the, the last coaching staff with Bill Clark um, and Bryant Vincent. That's no more. That They are very quarterback-focused team. Jacob Zeno, their starter, off to a good start this season. They don't run the ball as well as, as as they have. They don't play defense as well as 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 they were either. So um on paper, I don't think Georgia will have to sweat too much. And probably there's probably an opportunity here for Kirby and the and the coordinators to play a lot of guys and to keep some of the guys who are banged up uh off off the field and healing for SEC play. Yeah, leave it to Georgia. We'll get back into conference play, nationally televised, CBS, and then back to this trash, and then back to CBS next yes, week. Yeah. But <laughs> we got to hide them this week. I mean, hey, great scheduling <laughs> to get this game before you go play Auburn next week. All right, how about uh, Charlotte at Florida? What can you tell us about Charlotte? Speaking of interesting coaches, <laughs> if you don't know about Charlotte's coach, Biff Pogge, he was a hedge fund manager who is a successful high school coach. He coached in an off-field role at Michigan and is now the head coach at Charlotte. If that isn't interesting enough, <laughs> he wears shorts and a cutoff shirt in games. So <laughs> he's, it's, he's the main event here uh, because Charlotte is one and two through the first three weeks of the season. Uh, despite his... Um, Interesting uh, <laughs> demeanor and ways. Charlotte is not very good this season, and he was also very upset with how they lost to Georgia State last week and promised some changes. So there's a lot of unknown here uh, for Charlotte. It's the perfect rebound opponent for Florida after beating Tennessee. Like if this game is close, it shouldn't be. That would be worrisome <laughs> for Florida. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we're asking you about uh, Texas and Oklahoma because they're SEC to us, Stephen. Texas playing. At Baylor, from what I gather, though, Baylor is, is pretty awful this year. Yeah, they are struggling under Dave Aranda, uh, the former LSU defensive coordinator. I think you know if you're an SEC fan and you looked at that box score against uh, Wyoming last week and you probably wondered, like, what's going on? Like, did Texas struggle? They kind of did. Like, Wyoming just plays a very frustrating style. Like, they possess the ball for 10 minutes in the third quarter. They run the ball. They play good defense. So a little bit of a post-Alabama hangover against mm-hmm. Wyoming. I think we'll see a, a much more focused Texas team. You you hit it, though. Baylor is struggling. Their starting quarterback is out. Their defense is not what it was uh, two years ago when they won the Big 12 title. So, you know, this is – I think the, maybe the takeaway from this is this is a spot where Texas may have slipped up in the last couple of years. Like if this is a different Texas team, and I think we think it is, they should be able to go on the road and take care of business. And, you know, it shouldn't be, they shouldn't need a fourth quarter comeback to beat Baylor. Mm -hmm. And how about Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Stephen, where 
I realize that Oklahoma's not played an oppressive schedule either, but my God, they're just jumping on these teams. Or they're, I mean, it's like they got 30 points at the end of the first quarter, it seems like. So they're, they're, they're high-flying. Uh, will they be tested at all against Cincinnati? I think you hit on something there that I think is like really important. Like A lot of these games, when you're playing opponents that you're heavily favored in, dominance. And that's what Oklahoma has done for the most part. Like the game against SMU was close, but SMU is one of the better uh, group of five teams in the country. I guess ACC starting uh, <laughs> next year too. So uh, I think this this will give us a little bit of a better idea about one area on Oklahoma's team. The, you know, Dylan Gabriel has been red hot. You know, he torched Tulsa last week. They, they're starting to get some different playmakers involved at receiver, which was one of my questions coming into the year. But when you've played Tulsa and you've played Arkansas State, it's probably not the best kind of gauge to see where your offensive line is. And that's one of the areas that Oklahoma, um, from a progression standpoint, I want to see this year. Cincinnati can test them because this this Cincinnati front is one of the better ones in the Big 12. So if they go out and dominate that front on Saturday, that is a very good sign um, for Oklahoma. So that's what I want to see. In terms of just team strength, Cincinnati, Emory Jones, old SEC friend, oh, yeah. <laughs> starting at Cincinnati. Uh, they beat Pittsburgh two weeks ago, lost to Miami of Ohio uh, last Saturday. So they've been up and down. Um, I think we know the strengths of Emory Jones. So if I think if Oklahoma <laughs> can kind of keep him in the pocket, force him to be a pocket passer, uh, the Sooners should keep rolling on Saturday. Mm. All right, Stephen, uh, any other closing thoughts on this weekend in the SEC before we let you go? I'm just excited for the games this weekend, man. The the, the whole like nation, like six was <laughs> six or seven uh, top twenty five matchups. So I mean, it's like the perfect Saturday if you're a college football fan to just find the seat on the couch at uh, eleven a.m. Central and uh, not leave until uh, I guess the Hawaii game finishes <laughs> at like two two or three in the a.m. In, in the morning. Uh, I can't wait for the rest of the country to start racking up these losses. And maybe it just won't be the SEC anymore, but uh, I can't thank you enough. (laughs) Maybe maybe that is something actually, now that you bring it up, is like nationally, like, you know, where does like the SEC, you know, like, you know, playoff and all that stand? Like, I I think this Saturday is actually kind of a good, a good kind of like segue into the playoff discussion because the SEC has been racking up losses in non-conference play and like your you know your best hope to get two teams is Alabama or LSU or maybe somebody else getting hot knocking off Georgia in the SEC championship game well this week some of the other contenders could start taking losses like Florida State goes to Clemson um, you've got Ohio State Notre Dame playing you've got Penn State playing Iowa you've got some good games in the Pac-12 so I think if you're an SEC fan looking for for a reason to pay attention to these games, this is like you're going to start seeing the losses outside the the SEC start to add up, mm-hmm. and that's what I would say. Like that may give us a better idea of kind of one, two losses, undefeated conference champions, kind of where this is all headed this year. Mm. Well, Stephen, I can't thank you enough for joining the show. As always, before you go, tell the audience so where can they find all your work. Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at Aflon Steven. You can also follow me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, TikTok, <laughs> Stephen L CFB. Uh, you can follow my YouTube page, all CFB365. And 
We also do the Cover 2 podcast by Athlon Sports. It'll be up on Wednesday morning. That's the Cover 2 podcast previewing uh, the weekend to come all across college football. Yeah, and I've been enjoying uh, you and Braden. Uh, you do your SEC picks late in the week. I always tune in for those as well. So I uh, appreciate all the all the content you're putting out there. I can't recommend it enough to all the audience. Thank you again for joining the show, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, just will say thanks again, Stephen, for joining the show. I hope all y'all get as much out of those conversations as I do. But, uh, hey, just want to say thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Cousin Shane will be back on the next episode. We'll, we'll preview all these upcoming games, just like Stephen and I. But uh, it's always a much different conversation when it's just uh, shaded eyes. So uh, be on the lookout for that on Wednesday. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. I appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. We'll catch you. On the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.